0: Our first rockets were weapons, from the German V2 to Sputnik. We rode to space on the tip of giant missiles. We were driven by war, a little bit of fear and paranoia. We rode those rockets to orbit with Alan Shepard and Mercury. We rode those rockets to the moon with Apollo. When Apollo astronauts stood on the moon and they turned around and looked back at Earth, nearly 400,000 kilometers away, it changed them. From up there, borders and wars and violence disappear, and it changed people on Earth. They shared the experience of the moon on their television screens. They decided going to space didn't have to be about fear. It could be about something else. So they built this. This is Discovery. Now, it's the name of a shuttle, but it's also what the ship itself represents. And For the first time, our astronauts weren't only soldiers, they were teachers and scientists. Instead of war machines, we launched telescopes that could see to the edge of the universe and almost to the edge of time. With the International Space Station, we built a home for the whole world. Yes, we built spacecraft so we can explore, but when we build spacecraft, we build technology for better clean energy and medicine. Today we have replaced Discovery with Curiosity, a robot that extends the reach of our species It allows us to exist beyond our own consciousness, to expand the human experience beyond our home planet. We push a button on Earth and we do work on Mars. And using the technology that came from our space program, we ourselves can go beyond Earth. But people ask me all the time, why not just send robots to space, why send humans? Because people come home and every astronaut who's gone to space has been greeted by the whole world as a hero. NASA might send humans to Mars by 2030 and private spaceflight expands our ability to go to space, you and me. Yes, on rockets, but this time driven by curiosity instead of fear or paranoia or war. A new generation of space heroes will use their experiences to change the world just like we have for half a century. Instead of museums full of retired spaceships, we should have museums full of space heroes. Discovery the space shuttle might be grounded for the rest of her days, but just maybe, if we're willing, Discovery can carry us beyond Earth again.
1: Come on. Woo, woo. Throw those horns up. Throw them up. Woo. Can you get enough of that, baby? Yeah, because on this show, woo, talk about maximize. On this show, on Sovereign Tech, excess is best, baby. Woo. We take it to the heights every week. And I know, woo, I know. I've got a lot of new listeners over the past few weeks, and among the thousands and thousands. After my appearance, I was recently on, whoo, I was really honored, recently on the Grimerica show, uh, their Grimerica podcast, and oh man, thanks for having me on, boys, by the way. Whoo, well, <laughs> let me tell you, if you're coming over from that and you're on your first ride with this, you are in whoo, for the ride of your life. You trust me on that one, baby, because there is nothing else in the world. Like Sovereign Tech. Nothing else like whoo, the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, zoo the Rated R, Radio Star, Open this baby up with a little, oh man, one of my favorite bands of all time. And they've only been around a few years. Amaranth. Oh, is, are they something else? In fact, the lead singer, she is, ooh. ha, all right. <laughs> but we're not here to get into all that. But we've got a lot to get into, and we're going to get into it. Oh man, you know, I got to start her off. So just this week, um, the, the Sovereign Tech newsletter, I know some people asked about that, but the latest issue came out uh, just this past week, got another issue coming out next week. If you want to get your hand, if you want to be getting this into your email inbox, or if you want to read all the past issues, just go to zog.email, that's dot email that it, you can't miss it it's right at the top of the page it's right front and center well I mean a little to the left maybe but it's right there and you can fill in the form and it'll just make sure you're not a robot and if you're a robot you can join too I don't give a shit I mean fuck you know robosexuality rock and roll baby let's do this Woo! Uh, <laughs> but in any case sign up for this people I, I mean I already got the reviews from uh, from the recent issue of the newsletter people loved it they thought the short fiction was oh so hot had a little pixel in it oh man <laughs> And long time listeners know what that's all about, baby. Uh, it was it was awesome. Uh, got the next issue coming out next week, and oh yes, it will. Uh, it just very 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 exciting. Uh, a lot of the things going on. Um, another thing that was really uh, really exciting for me that I'm going to talk about in the mi- in a minute was uh, speaking of Pixel. Our very own, Sovereign Tech's very own Pixel, that being Paige Peterson, uh, you know, who's, who works for Zcash. And boy, she's traveling the world. In fact, Sovereign Tech listeners have been catching up with her as she's been traveling around the world. She's recently at a, at a crypto conference in Prague uh, at the Institute of Crypto Anarchy, which that, that had to be fucking amazing. Maybe at some point I can uh, I, I can venture out there. I've been invited to some of these conferences. Um, just sometimes with my schedule, it's, it's kind of tough. In fact, I'm going to be in Boston uh, if you're hearing this. So I am recording this episode on this would be Saturday, the 21st of October from the 24th to the 26th. I'm going to be in Boston at the Monage conference um, that, uh, that it'll be at the Boston Public Library, which is a very interesting setting for that. But I will be there if you're in the area. Hey, fuck. Come say hi. I mean, I'm I'm kind of going to be working while I'm there. I'm not going to be uh, speaking. It was offered to me, but I, I I decided to to not you know go forward with that. Um, I mean, I'm kind of. So the Monage conference, like it's this whole thing about uh, it's about AI, blockchains, you know, cryptocurrency, the, the, the whole thing, uh, chatbots, all this other stuff. Uh, but it's going to be apparently a very positive conference. And look, I have, you know, I say this all the time. I am a short term pessimist, but I am an absolutely a long term optimist. But when I get on stage, I like to have a lot of fun. I bring on, the, you know, a bit of the sexy, you know, as far as subjects go and I can be a bit fire and brimstone. Whew. I'm sure that doesn't surprise anybody, but I can bring that on. It's a, I I don't think I'm exactly a fit for it, but there's going to be great people there. Tatiana Moroz is going to be there. Uh, I mean, it's just it, it. I mean, that that's just one name uh, amongst uh, a, a ton uh, that are really, really intelligent people. Uh, that, so I'm I'm excited uh, to be at that. But uh, I want to talk about the, um, the, like I said, Pixel. Uh, that being Paige Peterson, she held in New Hampshire. She held uh, the, the Nashua Crypto Party, I think is the official name for it. I put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out, because there, as far as I, there's going to be more of these. Um, and when we had one, but I'll talk about that in a second. Real quick, I want to read something. This is from the Sovereign Tech Uncensored uh, Facebook group. And if you want to join that, you have to, there's a link in the show notes. You have to friend me on Facebook first because it's a secret group. And then I can then just, you know, private message me and I can get you in there. Uh, But that's the that's the sequence within which to uh, to get into it. And it's a very active group and and people really love it. Uh, I still get so many people that tell me it's their it's you know, just their fucking their favorite page on the internet for fuck's sake. Uh, It's it's the only reason they're on Facebook, which I'll admit, please, you know, if you're willing to leave Facebook, leave. If you read this week's Sovereign Tech newsletter, or if you listened to last week's episode with both, which both played off of each other very nicely, uh, for, for fuck's sake, leave. If you don't have to be there, just go. <laughs> but anyway, no, I, I, I'm honored. I, I get what you're saying, and I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling you to to leave my group or anything, but you get the point. Um, anyway, somebody had just some very kind words, and, and I wanted to read them because I was, well, I mean, I mean, I have I have people telling me all the time that I'm touched, but. <laughs> But I was very touched by this. And I'm just going to read it here and leave the person anonymous. But uh, but I I really, you know, I'm so honored by this. Um, Here we go. I was trying to come up with a list of content producers that regularly challenge my deeply held beliefs in interesting ways. It was a short list. Brian Sovereign. I take in content from all over many spectra, but they mostly reinforce my existing beliefs, gloss over points of disagreement or make assumptions I cannot follow. Brian is the only one that regularly articulates points of disagreement that resonate. I also find him entertaining and informative. Thanks, Brian. And wow, uh, no, thank you, and and I mean that seriously. Like, thank you, <laughs> all all the way. Um, that that means the world to me when I get the that kind of you know when I get the, the uh, I, I get emails like that uh, here and there. I certainly get plenty of hate mail as well, uh, but. But that just that just means the world to me. And and thank you so much uh, for saying that. And look, you know, I say I say this all the time as well. You listeners to Sovereign Tech, we don't. And I know most of you don't. Oh, we don't always agree. We like you don't have to agree with me. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm not even forcing you to listen to me. OK, but as long as we can, you know, have the have the debates, uh, have the conversations, get these ideas out there without getting, you know, i don't know pushed away shunned out whatever shut down um you know then, then great like let let's just let's do this let's enter the arena of ideas and you know we can be all we can be gladiators within that are you not entertained are you not entertained <laughs> right <laughs> and just have a good time because I love to have, whew, I love to have a lot of fun when I do this show. So you don't have to agree with me. I don't expect everybody to agree with everything that I'm saying. Okay. And I say, it's all another thing I say all the time, boy, I'm just, we're, we're break, going down the greatest hits of stallion sayings. Okay. Look, I do the reason that I do, that I started doing this show and that I still do the show is because my opinions are not represented. So I will represent my opinions. You can agree or disagree with them. Some of them peop- some of you find it refreshing even when you disagree and I'm so honored by that. And so, whoo, enough of it all. Let's start talking about the news for this week well of course like i said first we do want to talk about the Nashua crypto party uh, this was incredible for me to to attend okay and very much felt like i mean this is a group of a lot of disparate minds i'm sure there are a lot of uh, or not a lot but but some differing ideologies there are a lot of free staters if you don't know what the free what a free stater is uh, check out freestateproject.org. Okay, technically I'm a freestater. I moved to New Hampshire for the Free State Project, but just go to freestateproject.org if you don't know about that, okay, to, to find out what that means. But anyway, bottom line, that what that essentially means is that there were quite a few, uh, you know, a good chunk of the group, and there were over 20 people there at this meetup, okay, uh, th- that the bulk of them were either libertarians or anarchists or something like that. Uh, now, getting 20 people for a for a first off in fucking West bumfuck New Hampshire. I mean, Nashua is a, a larger city for New Hampshire, but, but you get my point to get like 20 people at a meetup like this, you know, all about crypto talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, signal, you know, using encryption, using encrypted apps about Bitcoin, about blockchain, cryptocurrencies and all this stuff to get that many people like at a first meeting. I mean, that that's actually very impressive. You have to understand. I mean, in like even in the 90s, you know, when we would have and, and I'll talk about this. Back in the nineties when I would go to, you know, like cypherpunk groups and I would go to like uh, uh, you know, key signing uh parties or what they would call key parties, not like the I mean, there's that other kind of key party right that we that I, I sure as fuck love. <laughs> Where somebody's taking home somebody else's keys, you know what I mean? And you're going home with them. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, uh, but but a key signing party where you're checking each other's secret keys, you know, to make sure that you're, you're there's not a man on man in the middle attack with whatever uh, encrypted messaging you were using, you know, or, or I mean, in that case, back in the day, it was PGP. But, you know, like those those kind of meetings, you're lucky if you had 10 people, you know, unless you went to New York City. Yeah, then you'd have kind of a critical mass. But. But anywhere else outside of, say, New York City or a major city or Silicon Valley or something, you know, you'd, you'd be lucky if you'd get 10 people. We had over like 20 people. I mean, it was it was full and it was at a make it labs in which I didn't even know that was there in Nashua. So, you know, it, this is the right stuff. And it's so exciting to see this kind of thing happening. It sure is fuck exciting uh, to see it happening in my, you know, my now my home geographic area, that being New Hampshire. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. And everybody had great questions. There were people getting set up with VPNs. Everybody was, uh, you know, they, they were setting up using Signal. Um, I mean, it, it, it was it was phenomenal. And in all different like technical levels were there. There were people who obviously really knew their shit and there were people who were learning. And that's great. That's exactly the kind of uh, a diversity you know, like mental diversity that you want in a group like that. And, and I just, I thought it was dynamite and everybody was like checking, you know, was installing signal and checking each other's secret keys and everything. I mean, it, it, frankly, it was hot. <laughs> like there's nothing hot or I mean, there's few things hotter in my opinion than, than, you know, encryption. Uh, And, and it, it was just, it was, it was fantastic. It, it was so cool. I put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, And there are already a lot of comments underneath Um people saying what a swell group of folks, the breadth of knowledge was awesome and the lack of ego kept the discussion positive and productive. Uh, of course, I don't know if I brought my, my lack of ego, but I don't, I don't know that I was lacking in it. Um, but other people, very interesting and knowledgeable group. I hope to meet again soon. Thank you for setting this up. Looking forward to, uh, you know, well, anyway, that was, that was for for one coming up, but People just enjoyed the hell out of it. It was it was a ton of fun. These are the kind of things that need to happen. I know there's like 2,600 meetings and all that stuff that happened, uh, but, but these are so important. I can't thank Pixel, of course, Paige Peterson. I can't thank her enough, uh, you know, for making this a reality and making it happen because – this is how we're going to, you know, we, we talk about all the time how, like, crypto anarchy, how, you know, the open source movement and encryption and all these things are really taking over. And it's, it's a, you know, grassroots, for lack of a better term, it's a grassroots movement happening with it. Well, this is how it gets bigger, is doing stuff like this and attending things like this. I'll be there for everyone, every single one of these crypto parties, and, you know, unless there's something up. I mean, I, I will be there for every single one and will, you know, gladly step back and let people, you know, get it out there and everything and, and and make happen and do what they need to do. Uh, but I'll also gladly join in when it's necessary. I I just thought it was, it was phenomenal. That, that was a dream come true, uh, attending that event, uh, especially the setting, make it labs is great. Everybody there. It was just, it was so cool. Now let's, um, let's change it up. Uh, this week on actually Tuesday is October 17th, uh, Microsoft released, of course, (laughs) It's kind of like why would you talk talking about how cool cryptography is, and then suddenly you're going to start talking about Windows? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> please indulge me. <laughs> uh, so Microsoft released uh, their latest update to Windows 10, which of course they do this uh, biannually, or right? Is that by or whatever? They do it twice a year, and these are when they come out with these. Some, I mean, some of these, have, ever since Windows 10 came out a couple of years ago, some of these have been uh, larger updates, some have been smaller updates, uh, you know, to where there's a lot of changes, sometimes there's not so many changes. But under the hood, in a very real sense, you are getting twice a year, you are getting a completely new operating system, really. they They keep calling it Windows 10. But really, at the end, of the end of the day, it's a completely new operating system. And you can tell just the, based upon the way the security patches work for all of them, you can really tell that that's the mindset that Microsoft, you know, intentionally has as well. Uh, because you know, they'll say they have to put out different patches for like, say the anniversary update. Uh, They have to put out different patches for, you know, whatever update it is. And and it's wholly different from, say, if you are just up to the latest version of Windows 10. Now on the 17th, the latest version being uh, is the fall creators update for Windows 10. Um, I installed it. I've been running it all week. I'm actually recording this episode on it right now. Uh, And I haven't really run into any problems and I haven't, and surprisingly, I haven't really heard of any horror stories, uh, either coming around, you, you know, because like, uh, I forget which, maybe it was the anniversary update where it, it seemed like just a tragedy. <laughs> I mean, it was like really, really bad form. Um, and, and, and you know, lots of people were losing all kinds of connectivity and there were uh, various uh, driver functions they were, or, you know, drivers that were breaking and everything like it was really, really bad. Um, I've yet to hear that. Granted, it's only a few days in, so I'm not going to call it and say it was some kind of success or anything. Um, but you know, initial reports, people have just up, up, you know, updated to it and, and away you go. But again, for me, it's been stable. And as far as updates, you can really tell, like they've doubled down even more on putting in all of these 3d and VR, uh, features. Now, you know, your laptop or desktop, if if it has enough power, uh, is really ready to take advantage of the mixed reality, uh, which is the combination of virtual reality and all, and, uh, you know, an augmented reality, uh, the mixed reality features that and, and platform that Microsoft is creating. The headsets are already shipping from Acer and Lenovo and whoever else, uh, you know, the virtual reality headsets or the mixed reality headsets to take advantage of that. Now, all of that's there. Um, and, and you can see it when you look in your app drawer, like there's a, or not your app drawer, but you know, your apps folder, whatever that, that has all your UWP apps and all of the things that come automatically installed by Microsoft, you're going to see a few new ones. <laughs> okay. Because they're getting you ready. You know, Hey, if you want to take advantage of mixed reality, here you go. Um, the other features that they've put in, there is the, uh, the windows people feature, finally came out, which is supposed to connect your contacts through disparate apps. Um, that's finally, I mean, that's a feature that's been promised for well over a year. Uh, it was supposed to be in other updates. It's finally here. Um, eh, I mean, it, it's interesting for for what it is. Um, the kind of the inclusion of if you have Cortana installed, especially on your Android phone, and, you know, and then you do use it on your Windows 10 uh, machine, Cortana now has way more integration with the fall creators update. Now it's like official and out of beta and everything where, and I, and I got, I have to admit, like I've tested it just cause I want to, cause I'm a tech journalist and I want to see what the fuck it's like. Um, this is pretty nice. And I, and I know Apple users have had this forever with the synergy between iOS and mac OS. Um, but with Cortana, where it will push every notification from your phone to your, uh, you know, to your notification Uh, bar, I guess I'll say that, that, you know, that you pull out from the left on Windows 10. Um, It, it'll, it'll bring up, and here's the cool thing. Like say you get a text, you can actually respond to the text. Like it'll bring, it'll put a little text field underneath the notification and you can respond right from your computer without having to touch your phone. Uh, That is very nice. Even if you have like Facebook messenger installed on your, on your smartphone, it will bring up the Facebook messenger notification and you can respond To to the Facebook message right through the notifications, um, you know, right from the notification that you get on Windows 10. Uh, if you have Cortana installed on your, you know, on your smartphone, I mean, like, and, and that's just a couple of examples. There's other app like line line messenger will do it. There's other apps that will do it. Uh, I mean, it's pretty slick how, how that's set up um, and the notifications, you know, are relatively handy, even though with Windows 10, some of that is a little redundant because like you can install the official Instagram app on Windows 10. You can't really do that on any other platform, not ex- Not. I mean, you can, but it's a bit of a workaround. But I mean, like a lot of apps, you know, with UWP, you can get mobile versions of apps that you have on iOS or, or, uh, you know, or Android, and you can just have them installed on your desktop PC. Uh, So sometimes it can be a little redundant, but whatever. It, it works. Uh, actually the Instagram app, I think does a good job of deciding, you know, like where Cortana doesn't actually push you the, um, the notification from your mobile device for Instagram. If you have Instagram installed on your, you know, on your windows 10 machine. Uh, so not too bad there. Uh, then there's the continue this on PC feature where it allows you to like send, say you're looking at a website on your mobile phone. It allows you to send it, uh, to, to your PC, like a, as a, as a notification, which there have, there have been apps that have done this in the past that weren't, you know, that were like more platform agnostic. They were more, uh, cross platform than, you know, having to use windows 10. Okay. So, but it's just, it's, it is kind of nice to have Cortana and what's built already and already installed into windows 10, um, able to do that. So, Other than that, I mean, there's there's little features here and there that they change things up, but nothing too crazy. And there's nothing really egregious um, as far as, you know, like there were there were a bunch of things that when the last uh, uh, update for Windows 10 came out. And I did a whole write up on this on actually on Medium um, where I told people, okay, here's how you turn off all these ads and you turn off all this bullshit that, that that Microsoft activated. I'm not seeing a whole lot of that in the fall creators update this time around so good on them for for not doing that but anyway it's still windows and you know take Take that for what you will. Uh, so I've, I've been, I'm largely, I mean, it's not, it, there's ways in which it feels like a major update and there's ways where it, where it really doesn't. So the Fall Creators Update, go ahead and install it if you haven't yet. There's no guarantee that your computer is going to work beautifully outside of it. Uh, Microsoft does do like a slow rollout based upon what hardware you have as to whether or not they're going to automatically give you Windows or, you know, automatically update you as part of its automatic updates to the Fall Creators Update for Windows 10. But if you want to just try it and, you know, roll the dice, like I did, you can automatically, or there's a website you can go to, uh, where you can install it instantly. There's like a little piece of software windows updater that'll let you do it. So anyway, um, let's move on to, uh, to some other stories. Uh, actually this one's kind of, kind of related, I think. So Samsung announced this week that now they have this, what's called for their galaxy line. OK, and it's more or less for the entire Galaxy line uh, of smartphones, like the Note 8, the, you know, the, the Galaxy uh, S8 and the S8 Plus. Uh, And I don't know what else would get included in that. But anyway, but for their Galaxy line, uh, they have this dock, which they call Dex, D-E-X. And this dock is now being updated or, or your phone's going to be updated to where when you are connected to this dock, which works like uh, uh, Windows Continuum which if you remember that from Windows 10 Mobile, which we've talked about is pretty much dead. Um, Continuum was this idea that which means Continuum's dead, too, by the way. <laughs> Continuum is this idea where you could plug in your in, in the case of Windows 10 Mobile, where you could plug in your Windows phone to a keyboard. You know, you'd have a dock and you'd put it into the dock and the, that dock would connect to, a, a, a you know, a monitor, a mouse, keyboard, all of that and it would turn into a desktop PC. It would turn into a desktop computer effectively, or at least a desktop environment. Um, Samsung is doing the same thing with something they call Dex, and they just, they are going to update it to where it runs full Linux. What it did before was just turn your, like if you connected it to a monitor, of course you would, uh, it just turned it into like in, like using an Android tablet on a monitor with a keyboard and mouse, which is kind of nice. I'm not opposed to that. And these are old ideas. Uh, Ubuntu with their Ubuntu phone originally wanted to do this sort of thing, um, and, of course, like I said, Continuum itself was, you know, going to be supposedly the successful version of that. Unfortunately, that didn't exactly happen. Um, I still think there might be plays involved with that, but that's, that's another story for another time. Uh, I mean, n- nothing serious, because now, obviously, Microsoft is going all in on mixed reality, it, it appears. But anyway, um, so Samsung's DeX platform uh, and dock, you know, that you can connect now you'll be able to run full Linux. Uh, And the argument goes is that probably the reason that they didn't want to, you know, that just using Android wasn't enough was because, yeah, Android can't really fill a whole screen very well. I mean, and we see this, you know, there's been all-in-one Android uh, desktops that have been sold and they don't, they don't sell. Like, I mean, you know, they've been offered, but, but people don't really get into them and buy them. They, they're, it's not that compelling a platform for a lot of people, which is probably why Chrome OS, you know, that, that's why Google went in the direction of integrating Android apps into Chrome OS. But, Anyway, um, I could picture this. So having a full Linux desktop and just plugging—I mean, really—Samsung, like I said, is copying a Ubuntu phone at the end of the day. I mean, so is everybody, but but you, you know they they were and Ubuntu phone's dead. I'm I'm not like praising it or anything, and, and it might be dead for good reason. Okay, but uh, but this Dex doc, I mean, like this is an idea that I kind of like. I actually would rather it be in the watch form factor, uh, just because. Well, that's another conversation for another time, but. Regardless, I like this idea of, you know, you have this one device that can just handle different form factors and and different environments that it gets put into. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Samsung makes some kind of deal with now that we know that Windows 10 can run through emulation, but with native, uh, you know, native power, native processing power. Uh, now, now that we know Windows 10 can run on ARM, on ARM processors, which is exactly what, you know, Samsung uses for their Galaxy line, I wouldn't be surprised if Windows 10 comes to Samsung phones. I mean, they'll, they'll still run Android, right? But then when you connect it to, um, you know, a dock, when you connect it to a DeX dock, D-E-X, then you could have an entire Windows Ten machine in front of you. I could really really see that happening in the very that, that's a prediction on my part that that's that's going to come down the pike uh, for a few reasons um you know I, I could really I could see that going down but um, I mean I think Samsung is really trying to hedge its bets it's also and and here here's actually here's the biggest here's the biggest hint to this but I think Samsung is hedging its bets against Google and right now Microsoft and Google are kind of you know back into Attacking each other here and there, but it was a shock when you know. Speaking of mixed reality, and we talked about this that at that mixed reality event that Microsoft uh, held was it last week or the week before? It was a shock that Samsung made a, a Windows mixed reality headset. Like what the fuck? They were one. of, You know, they made Gear VR. They're they're one of the major mobile platforms for virtual reality. What what is this? Well, here's the thing: if if your if your Samsung Galaxy phone can effectively run. Um, you know, can run Windows 10. Well, then, yeah, they want a headset that they can sell you when you're going to go into Windows, uh, you know, mixed reality Windows MR. So so it, it makes sense. And, and I think that that's a much larger play where they're trying to be kind of the hardware that, I mean, because Samsung has backed off of its own personal, uh, you know, software efforts, shall we say, like, you know, Tizen and and all of their own little apps that worked on, you know, Galaxy phones like Milk Music or whatever else that, you know, they've been shutting those down pretty much across the board. Uh, so, you know, m- maybe they just want to be the hardware company that that Windows 10 and Android, you know, work on. And we know that, you can dual boot dual boot we've known this for 2 3 years now where microsoft themselves had tested you know how well can you dual boot android and windows 10 on you know on one phone and they've they've actually made it available for some phones to be able to do that and it works fairly well you know to to do it and so yeah, this is, this is something that's long been in development and is an inch, very, very interesting Trojan horse, uh, to, you know, to kind of have this, have this synergy. Um, you know, what this will mean when it comes to Samsung, what this will mean as far as like Bixby versus Cortana. Well, that's, that's another story. Um, but there is, there are a lot of unique, uh, apps that exist between, between Samsung, between a, you know, a galaxy phone and between a windows PC uh that that like specifically exist as far as UWP and then as an Android app that can communicate with each other uh so yeah i i think there's a much much larger play uh going on here overall but i love the idea of the dex dock where you can you know dock your phone and it turns into a full on desktop environment i think that's really cool uh you know just just a very very slick idea so anyway uh whew, let's uh, <laughs> let's get on to some other stories and speaking of facebook oh man <laughs> I just, there's not a whole lot to say on this. I just, I find it ironic. I find it funny. Um, Facebook is going to, they they started this month. They're testing it out. They are testing out subscriptions, like literally charging you money for access to instant articles. So instant articles is this idea of, Uh, you know, say like a a TechCrunch. I'm just giving out examples. I'm not saying that they use it. Uh, TechCrunch or the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or people like this, you know, these news sources, these popular websites where they can host their stories, their content natively into Facebook. And so when you click on it, say on the Facebook app, um, it will, like, it'll instantly show up. That's why they call it instant articles. Google has the same thing with the Google AMP program. That way it's not, I mean, because one of the biggest problems with looking at websites, aside from a small screen, one of the biggest problems with looking at websites on a smartphone is that usually you know, there's 10 billion apps or uh, ads that start showing up. Uh, it can be very slow, you know, from the data connection, whatever else. And so Facebook a couple years ago, you know, started this whole instant articles thing, which I thought was kind of dying off. Maybe now this is their attempt that, okay, this is the only thing we can do to revive it is that these companies, Wall Street Journal, whoever else, they need to make money, uh, you know, off of doing this. And so they are going to charge people a subscription fee to get access to, uh, these, these instant articles, uh, you know, and make that work. I can't imagine that this is very compelling, um, at all. In fact, uh, I would be very worried because this is history in no way repeating itself. I have another point I want to bring up, but this is a way of history repeating itself. America Online. Which Facebook is maybe the best cor- You know, America Online might be the best corollary to, to Facebook as far as like comparing, uh, you know, a trajectory and path. And it's another reason why I think, look, folks, Facebook really can die because America Online sure as fuck did. AIM just died. <laughs> it's dying in December now. <laughs> like AIM is all over as to where there was a time where AIM was as ubiquitous. I mean, it, it, granted, there weren't smartphones, but AIM was as popular and as widely used as Facebook Messenger. Like, it's amazing just how, how, um, how similar the paths of AOL were, you know, was to what Facebook is going through now. Um, and with instant articles. So AOL back in the day, they originally were, I think they might've even paid, uh, you know, various news organizations. Hey, yeah, you know, host your stuff on America online, Post it only on America online. You know, this is going to be a great thing for you. If anything, it was free for them to do. But what happened down the line was then, You know, a lot of these a lot of these news organizations got hooked into the AOL community, which understand that in the 90s for a lot of people, the Internet was America online, just like now for a lot of people. Facebook is the Internet. Again, they're so similar. It's scary. Okay, Um, well, it shouldn't be scary because it because hopefully Facebook will meet the same end uh, as AOL did. But. Regardless, um, I mean, on, that fucking Android needs to go. <laughs> this has got to stop. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not talking about Android phones. I'm talking about Big Zuck. Uh, anyway, so what happened was is that, you know, while, while these news organizations got hooked on America Online, America Online knew it. And eventually, America Online started charging the news organizations to host their content On America Online, because that's where all the people were. Like I said, in the 90s, understand that that's that's really people thought that that was the Internet. They didn't they didn't generally go beyond it. And if they did, it was within AOL's browser and they still thought that they were on AOL. I mean, it took forever for people to realize what the actual full on Internet was. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people that use the Internet outside of AOL and it was the same thing. Right. Like when I was in high school, people would ask, oh, do you have an AOL account or do you have a or, you know, do do you uh, like do you use AOL or do you use the Internet like that? That was the way you would get asked about this shit. Okay, (laughs) that's 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 how powerful, you know, America, uh, America online um, was. And just like people who rightfully brag and I, I applaud you, the people that brag about not having a Facebook account. Um, you would at the time in the 90s, you would brag about not being on AOL. It's like, pff, no, I'm on the Wild Wild West, baby. I'm not on AOL. Fuck you. And it was, you know, that, that was kind of the cool thing. And if you were a heavy AOL user, please, I don't mean to insult you, but I'm just trying to give you the understanding of what the, the cultural landscape looked like at the time um, in the 90s. Now, with Facebook. So anyway, I could see this happening where, yeah, Facebook is trying to incentivize these companies to, you know, use instant articles and everything. But if they get people hooked on it and if, you know, Facebook's already, you know, the the major platform on the Internet, uh, they could start charging like Wall Street Journal could be making money off of instant articles. But then, holy shit, Facebook will just turn around and start charging them to even host their shit on there. And uh, yeah, this is this is the problem when people don't pay attention to history. They don't see what can what can come. I, I get it. You know, some people accuse what I talk about on this show. They say it's FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt. No, 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 no. I give you I give you historical corollaries. I I give you examples of now. Granted, the history doesn't have to repeat itself. I understand that. But I'm not just speaking out of my ass. I'm not just bringing up unfounded fears. These things have happened before. They can happen again. I would not host my shit on Facebook's platform. I just wouldn't. You know, I don't even I mean, I have I like I said, I don't want to get in this argument again. But yeah, like I have a Facebook group now. Okay, Uh, I am totally prepared for the day when that gets taken away from me. And honestly, I don't even give a shit. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like if if, if that kind of happens um, and then we'll just have to figure out where we go from there. OK, but I, I'm not going to bank my audience on Facebook. Not a fucking chance. No way. I'll keep everything that matters independent. That's why I have a newsletter. It's why the show gets hosted elsewhere. I'm not using Facebook's audio horseshit. You know, I, I make sure this stays as independent as possible. So anyway, um, whew, let's uh, <laughs> let's get on to uh, to another bit of business here. Well, this is kind of good news. Um, F-Droid, speaking of Android, F-Droid, which is the independent app store, uh, an app repository. It's not really a store because they don't sell anything. All the apps are open source and totally free. Um, F-Droid, it's F-Droid.org, uh, which I've recommended for years. And actually, at the Nashua Crypto Party I was talking about earlier, F-Droid came up, and a lot of people started installing that, which I thought was cool. Um, that That is now in version 1.0. It's finally out of beta. <laughs> Uh, and there's not a ton of huge differences, but it's great that this project continues on. There were some worries. I had some worries in the past few months that it wasn't going to, but no, it is going forward. It's up to version 1.0. They added in version 1.0. One of the major features that it did add is what it's called privileged extensions, where effectively it it allows for um, updating of apps in the background, just like the Google Play Store does. So that's very nice. The less that people have to do when they're using F-Droid and the apps available in F-Droid, the better. So understand F-Droid is kind of, you know, speaking of Wild Wild West, it's kind of a wild Wild West of of, of apps available. Some of those apps, you know, they're open source, but don't let that make you think that they're instantly secure or better or something. Uh, Some of those apps in there, you know, can be problematic, but regardless, I think it's cool that this is a project that continues on. Um, one of the great strengths of Android and to some degree it can lead to a weakness, especially in other countries where, where other alternative app stores are very popular. Um, but one of its great strengths is that you can have alternative app stores that allow you to, you know, well, you can install all kinds of wacky shit, you know, and this gets used in countries where there's like real tyrannical control and certain apps like ride sharing apps and other things aren't, aren't allowed by the government in, in the country that you may happen to be in. And so the Google play store can't happen or can't have it, but then they just create alternative app stores that you can install. So like I say, it can be a strength, but also, you know, if, if there's like a malicious app involved, it it can be a weakness too. I want to admit to that. Um, Anyway, so let's uh all right, next story, so really cool. I mean that that's a major there's there's some speed updates with F-Droid and all that, but look that that's great. I'm glad asteroid uh, you know, is still serious as a heart attack. Um, but let's get on to our next story, and this is one that's going to lead to lead well into our story of the week after the break. Um, and that is. Well, here's the the headline from Gizmodo, um, and this is from just this past Wednesday. Uh, Scientists just found the perfect spot to build an underground colony on the Moon, and what they found, and this is using uh, two two systems that they'd set up. Selene and Grail are the names of them. I'm sure Grail. I'm sure there, there's no interesting reason behind that name, Holy Grail. Uh, but regardless. <laughs> mm, uh, And this was in in concert with uh, JAXA, which is Japanese NASA, effectively. But in a very large part, Marius Hill, particularly that region of the moon, um, they found they proved now. I mean, it was theorized before, but now it's proved that there are lava tubes, which are these, you know, kind of these giant caverns that will happen on any kind of, you know, any planetoid, any celestial body, okay, Uh, well, almost any that it'll happen on. It's not a guarantee that it'll have it, where, you know, whatever went into shaping um, this, you know, planetoid will or, you know, this astral body, (laughs) I shouldn't say astral celestial, but anyway, you know, that, that went into it, that like where the magma will release and where there'll be like a pressure release and everything, it creates these lava tubes. Now on Mars, they found these too, that there are also lava tubes there. And it's true uh, because these, you know, these will instantly, you know, often they'll go meters deep and they will protect you from like, say, if a, a planetoid doesn't have any kind of atmosphere or anything, this is some pretty instantaneous Uh, protection from radiation and a lot of other things that would be coming from the sun, particularly in our solar system. So this is pretty cool. The, The reason that I bring it up, though, is look at how quickly and this plays on a theme we've been talking about on Sovereign Tech pretty much throughout 2017. Look at how quickly suddenly there's all this news and good news and other news and Russia and NASA are working together to build de- to build the deep space gateway and uh you know and, and I mean like all the stories that we've been covering on sovereign tech throughout 2017 just how quickly suddenly oh all these perfect things are coming together to where oh shit yeah we could of course we could set up a base on the moon no problem I mean like things that that had just been theorized for decades are now finally oh yeah no we can do this oh we can do this oh this is going to happen and it just points more and we'll we'll I'll save the rest for our main story this week. It just points more at what I've been saying. We're individuals, private individuals will be hitting up space. will be going to space within, in my opinion, you know, within the next 10 years, within a decade, this is happening so fast. The news is constantly coming out so fast that, Hey, we're going up, we're going up, we're going up. We've got it. We got this licked. Okay. Next. We got this licked. next, you know? Okay. Yeah. We made, we made this alliance. Let's go next. I mean, it's happening like this is really you know there's put up the meme it's happening baby because it is (laughs) and and it's it's so it's not just promises anymore now it's like oh no this is here oh shit this is real blah 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 and and it just you know the stuff just the case keeps building up anyway we'll be right we'll be right back for some more sovereign tech baby whoa let me tell you something i'm excited about we've got we've got a new sovereign tech sponsor baby can you get enough of this action and I am so excited for this one. This is one I have been dropping hints of for some time. Uh, usually whenever I would talk about the our other Sovereign Tech sponsor uh, or one of our other Sovereign Tech sponsors of the many, uh, that being CryptoCompare.com, uh, I would mention a little something called Zencash. Well, I had so many people messaging me uh, and, and, and even in the Sovereign Tech Uncensored Facebook group saying, whoa, Stallion, great call on Zencash. Yeah. And I had this is something I, I mean, I didn't have a kind of inside track. I just knew I, like I heard about this project and all I could think was, is, wow, this is really, really exciting. OK. Uh, and Zen cash. The, I mean, it did what it, it did. Some 200 uh, percent. I mean, just a crazy, crazy rise. But why did it do that? Well, in my opinion, it's because I think people are, are, you know, part of the reason that that happened is people see, they get it. They, they read the white paper, they read the technology, and you can read all this. Go to zensystem.io, uh, you know, to find out more about Zencash. This is... Much like Zcash, it is a cryptocurrency that uses Z- ZK Snarks. So it uses zero-knowledge proofs technology, which is, I say this all the time, it's a genuine scientific breakthrough in cryptography. It is huge. I don't think people realize just how big a deal that is, okay? Uh, and Z- Zen Zencash is very much trying to be, you know, it's trying to be more of a platform than Zcash, you know, being very, very much... You know, they're like a cryptocurrency, uh, you know, in that sense. So it's trying to do different things and building it all on top of this zero knowledge proofs. Uh, And I just I think it is such an exciting uh, technology going forward. We'll be talking about it more. Again, they are they are a sponsor of the show. Uh, You know, we'll we'll be doing deep dives on it. I am so honored to have them on board with Sovereign Tech. Um, I am a big fan of zero knowledge proofs. And so I'm a big fan of Zencash. I like what they have going on. The team over there, you have to understand Liberty Lovers they are as liberty loving as it gets they 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 get it okay they reached out to me they they knew they said hey your audience this is your, you know this mentality this is what we want this is the attitude this is what we're going for these are the people we want to work with these are the people that we want on board with us these and they, how, i mean how exciting is that that's as exciting as it gets for me, because I talk about this all the time, that you get a lot of you have so many people in the blockchain space, even just with Bitcoin itself and whatever, that they lost it. They lost the importance of, you know, of that liberty message that comes along with, uh, you know, what can be done with cryptocurrencies and blockchain. They, they've lost it not zencash. No, no, no. They got it. They understand. They know the deal. They know the score. They've got that whole anarchist I mean you know they're 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 on. Okay? <laughs> Trust me. They got liberty baby. And so I want you to check it out zensystem.io to to get involved with it uh you know get your hands on some uh this is just a really really exciting thing. So I'm honored to have them uh, as a sponsor and I'm giving them a little bit of an extra push here uh with the sponsor read because yeah, this is just it's so cool. I'm so happy that this sort of thing exists, you know, that there's there's so many technologies taking advantage of, again, a genuine breakthrough that is zero-knowledge proofs. So, anyway, whew, thank you so much, everybody at Zen. I'm honored. Go to zensystems.io. Let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Story of the week. woo boy, you know, Zen Cash could be story of the week. In fact, I mean, I, I'm going to be doing an interview uh, with one of the, the main guys over there uh, in, in the very near future that I think is going to be very exciting. Uh, I mean, because... We can talk it up. He and I have, uh, uh, we have very similar backgrounds. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and so it's, it's just, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you know, look folks, if you're saying, well, but wait a minute, stallion, aren't you really big on Zcash? Aren't you really like what? What's, what's with Zencash? And I was, look in, and, and the guys at Zencash will tell you the same, you know, guys and gals at Zencash will tell you the same thing. There's no, like n- no one wants a monoculture. There's no reason that you have to just choose one. Like, why do you have to only, say, invest or get interested or put your time into or excitement into only one cryptocurrency? In my opinion, that mindset just doesn't make any sense to me. It never has on this show. OK, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm very particular over what, you know, what crypto I do get excited about. And I hope my reputation stands on that. Uh, but when I do get excited about it, well, I got the messages from you. I got the messages from from all the Sovereign Tech listeners that were just like, holy shit, great call on this. You know, and so, yeah, I'm still fully supportive of Zcash. I'm fully supportive. I I love what's going on with Zencash. I dig Monero. You don't have to, like, I I really, guys, gals, Zs in the Sovereign Tech audience, you've got to explain it to me. You have to explain to me why you can only, why you can only be a fan of one, because I don't understand it like I, I just like give me give me the use case don't say well because if, if we if if our mind you know if, if we're trying to concentrate on multiple currencies and all that uh you know we're we're all the you know the, the main currency that could really take over say like bitcoin whatever you know it, it's just it's going to falter because we're not giving it enough uh, concentration and all stuff that's ridiculous you know there's <laughs> There's seven billion people on the planet. And what? We can't all work on different shit. I think that's called division of labor last time I checked. And that's a libertarian principle also last time I checked. I just don't understand I I j I'll I'll never get that. Okay, so I am so honored to have Zencash on board. And I still love all the other cryptos that I've ever listed off. Litecoin, Bitcoin. I, I love them with all my heart. But guess what? Love's an ocean, not a bathtub. I don't have to just pick one. I can I can love a ton of them. So anyway, woo. <laughs> let's get on to our main story. Let's get back on track uh, because we were going to talk about, we're going to talk some more of my, one of my favorite subjects on Sovereign Tech. And that of course is woo, outer space, baby. <laughs> and here it is. This is actually a press release um, from uh, uh, the United Launch Alliance. Uh, this just came out October 17th, same day as uh, the Fall Creators update. Well hopefully these things aren't running on windows but anyway <laughs> uh, uh, by the way there's there's a great zencash wallet um i use the if if you're going to ask me that like out of the gate um i actually use the elos elios sorry elios wallet e l e o s um i use that for uh for zencash and uh i'm, I'm very pleased uh, with it anyway so Yeah. uh, So this is a press release. I'm going to read a little bit of it here. And it's Bigelow Aerospace and United Launch Alliance announce agreement to place a B330 habitat in low lunar orbit. What is this now? Pay attention. Lunar orbit. Oh. Reading here, Uh, Bigelow Aerospace and United Launch Alliance are working together to launch a B-330 expandable module on ULA's Vulcan launch vehicle. The launch would place a B-330 outfitted module in low low lunar orbit by the end of 2022 to serve as a lunar depot. Quote, we are excited to work with ULA on this Lunar Depot project, end quote, said Robert Bigelow, president of Bigelow Aerospace. I want to talk about him in a second. Uh, Quote, our Lunar Depot plan is a strong complement to other plans intended to eventually put people on Mars. It will provide NASA and America with an exciting and financially practical success opportunity that can be accomplished in the short term. This Lunar Depot could be deployed easily by 2022 to support the nation's re-energized plans for returning to the moon quote, this commercial lunar depot, again, commercial, this isn't, this isn't a government program, uh, would provide Anchorage, uh, Anchorage for significant lunar business development in addition to offering NASA and other governments the moon as a new exciting location to conduct long-term exploration and astronaut training, end quote. The B-330 would launch to low Earth orbit on the Vulcan 562 configuration rocket, the only commercial launch vehicle in development today with sufficient performance and a large enough payload fairing to carry the habitat. Once the B-330 is in orbit, Bigelow Aerospace will outfit the habitat and demonstrate it is working properly. Once the B-330 is fully operational, ULA's industry-unique distributed lift capability would be used to send the B-330 to lunar orbit. Distributed lift would also utilize two more Vulcan Aces launches, each carrying 35 tons of cryogenic propellant. Anyway, it's going to get into a lot of that. But bottom line is that. They are, they are setting up a... Well, I mean, this is kind of like an inflatable thing, okay? Uh, and it it's the concept, like space hotels, that, remember, a lot of Japanese companies were very interested in talking a lot about in the 80s, even though they never really had any concrete plans. Um, and they never... They never genuinely had the independent payload uh, uh, lift ability as in they never had the independent rockets that weren't government, uh, you know, run effectively uh, to even be able to dream of setting that up and plan for it on their own schedules while working around the schedule of some government. So. Uh, united launch alliance and bigelow aerospace have solved this problem no we're going to get there independently and we'll set up a lunar depot because the government is being so goddamn ass slow that you know they can catch up with us when they're done maybe they can use it now of course me i'm an anarchist i don't want you know i don't want any government involvement in anything but i get it the, the, if anything if i was and, and i wouldn't put this past understand robert bigelow the ceo of uh, of bigelow aerospace i want to talk about him I wouldn't put it past him that they that in that press release, they specifically mentioned, yeah, we can let governments use it to just rub it in their fucking face and say, you sons of you know, just just get right in at him and say, oh, yeah, you won't get us to space. We'll do it our goddamn selves. Now, this is a huge point. And I'm going to talk more about Robert Bigelow. This guy's kind of a maverick. OK, this very, very interesting character. Um, Robert Heinlein. OK who is obviously most people listening to the sound of my voice. I know I have a ton of science fiction fans out there. Know who Robert Heinlein is. Moon is a Harsh Mistress, Stranger in a Strange Land. I mean, just, just go down the list of, you know, the, the the hits, Starship Troopers, whatever. Um, He had been... So Robert Heinlein is one of the members of kind of the, the golden age of science fiction authors. And his contemporaries, including... Uh, you know, personal heroes of mine like Harlan Ellison, Isaac Asimov and some others, uh, you know, just just think of all the classic names, James motherfucking Blish, even though Blish wouldn't have been so hard on Heinlein. Uh, but some of these other guys, Damon Knight, I mean, you just go down the list of Robert Silverberg, whoever they would insult uh, or even Arthur Clark, they, they would insult very much uh, Heinlein for. Robert Heinlein constantly promoting the idea that it was going to be private industry that would take us to the stars, that it would be private industry that would get the the common man, quote unquote, uh, into outer space. And for a long time, like it was tough to debate, you know, these other science, golden age science fiction author contemporaries because, yeah, it looked like, no, the government was actually going to be the one that did that job. Never exactly happened. I mean, other than, you know, trying to get teachers in space and, you know, other other things. OK, but it never exactly happened. But now we're finding out that, well, really, the government never really took us up into space. I mean, minus, a you know, a few individuals it never really took the average person in, into into outer space. And I think that with the efforts of Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin, uh, Musk to some degree, um, maybe even like Richard Branson, even though his plans seem to have continually faltered with, you know, Virgin Galactic uh, and now Robert Bigelow, no, they are going to be the ones that will end up taking us to space. And Bigelow is making it very clear. This is how you're going to get to Mars. You know, you'll, you'll just do it through us. You, you don't have to worry about any kind of, you know, government program or anything. Um, and now Robert Bigelow is very interesting because this guy, this guy's got a mouth on him. All right. He will make some very, very wild claims. Um, he's been on, I mean, this this will kind of tell you the story alone right here. He's been, in recent years, I think it was back like in 2013, he was on Coast to Coast AM. You know, that show. You know, George Norrie, right? The old Art Bell. He was on Coast to Coast AM. And, yeah, he said, oh, yeah, I think extraterrestrials have been to Earth. Now, I don't agree with Robert Bigelow on that. I don't think aliens have ever been to Earth. Okay, but... Regardless, this is a guy who 's not afraid to lay out some kind of crazy shit. I mean th- he has some wild ideas, and you know he 's got the money to back a lot of this stuff up. So understand that Robert Bigelow is also the guy he owns the hotel chain Budget Suites of America, which owns a ton of you know n- you might not recognize that name, but you 'd recognize the names of all of the you know hotels and motels um, that that fall under that parent company of Budget Suites of America and he made it very clear. I remember listening to him on coast to coast, and he made it you know super, super clear that he, the whole reason um, that he got involved, um, you know, in in the, the, the real estate business and in the hotel business and all this different stuff was so that he could get the resources, he could make the money to be able to start doing, you know, space tourism. Okay. And, Fucking right. Good. Yeah. You know, do what you got to do so that we can get to the future. I mean, the project that we're talking about now that he's doing with the ULA, that's going to be a, a, about two two, a little over two billion dollars, uh, you know, to, to pull this whole thing off with the Lunar Depot. Uh, that won't be the only thing. But understand, because it's the Lunar Depot, you know, we're talking about the moon here. This isn't just something hanging around like the ISS. OK, uh, I mean, this is really, really exciting shit. And I think he can do it. I think he's crazy enough to pull this shit off and you have to have that kind of crazy and you have to have that kind of crazy that doesn't rely on government which is why I don't get excited about Elon Musk because Musk is is such a government welfare queen he takes so much government money i mean he is under their thumb in my opinion i don't see him as rogue or rebellious or or anything um as to where Guys like, I mean, Bezos, I have my own problems with Bezos. Bezos, I think, is is totally legit in getting people into space. I think Big, Bigelow is totally legit in getting people to space. This is one of the most exciting announcements I've seen in a long, long time. And it's really cool that it happened, it coincided. Uh, you know, like this is just, you know, co- coincidental marketing, but it's beautiful when it happens. Um, when also when scientists around the world announced discovering uh, the kilonova, which I won't be talking about this week. Uh, but that's a that's a fascinating uh, bit of bit of astrophysics uh, really to, to talk about as well. So but I think that this is so cool that this is happening. And these are I mean, and look, you can do this for, you know, for under three billion because we're talking about like these inflatable habitats, which have been. You know, these have been theorized, mapped out, planned out even by NASA itself for 40 years. You know, these are ideas that, yeah, okay, they haven't been practically implemented in space, obviously. But as far as everything on the engineering side, on the drawing board side and all that, yep, shit can go wrong from that, no doubt. But this has been hammered out for decades. Like this is as practical. There's there's no need to invent some new kind of technology for the shit to go up. We don't need space elevators. We don't need all this other crap. This is just something that, that can happen. And once you get, you know, enough people up there, eventually you get a critical mass, and then the dream comes true. One of my dreams anyway, that humanity becomes what it should have always what what it's meant to become. And that is, at the very least, a two planet species. A multiplanetary species. It's what we're meant for. We're so goddamn adaptable. Like I, I I I dare say, and I don't like to say this sort of thing usually, but I dare say it's right in our genetics that we're meant for this sort of thing, and I think that that's that's so incredibly exciting. So good on you, Robert Bigelow. D- do it, baby. <laughs> just just do it. <laughs> at least me, I don't know if the rest of the Sabineg audience, but at least me, I'm fucking rooting for you. Let's do let's do this lunar depot, folks. Like I said earlier in the show. This shit's happening. 2022, he's saying he can have this done up. I said within the next decade, we're going to have a lot of this. This is before I knew any announcements or any of this stuff. I've been saying this all year long. It is happening. Get fucking excited. This is good news. Good times. Woo. Let those good times roll. Space Hotel, baby. Oh, oh, oh. Can you imagine getting it on zero G? Woo. Let's do this. Anyway, I'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. Hey, baby, talk about coins doing good. Talked about cryptos doing good. Bitcoin over 6,000. Whoo! maybe it's time. Just something to think about. I am not uh, giving you investment advice, inv- or I'm not an accredited investor or something. I'm not giving you investment advice. But maybe, maybe you want to think about, hey, maybe I should diversify this a little bit, you know, just so I can feel a little comfortable. When something goes up, another thing can go down, blah, 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 you know, do, do, your, do your permanent portfolio or something like that. So you want to diversify. Here's a recommendation for you. Okay, just a recommendation, friendly one. Go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, get your hands on some gold and silver, maybe platinum and palladium. Those are ones people don't think about often. They accept Bitcoin. They are a Bitcoin preferred business to get your hands on those precious metals. What I always call I call that cold. It's that real cold storage, right? It's that offline storage of value. Maybe you want to diversify up a bit. I don't think that that's a bad idea at all, especially with the present rise going on. Jump on this. Go to Roberts and Roberts Brokers. They're going to get your hookup. They got coins. They have all the things you could want. Incredibly fast service. Incredibly, I mean, just customer-friendly service. They'll even buy off of you if you want to sell some, perhaps some gold and silver. Okay, you want to do this. You want to take advantage of this. Go to rrbi.co. That's the website, rrbi.co, and get your hookup. And believe me, they, they just, I'm going to tell you straight, they just re-upped with Sovereign Tech. Okay, they re-upped because they believe in what Sovereign Tech's doing. In fact, the lead guy there, Tim Fry, he's been on the show. Talk about a sweetheart. Talk about a guy that gets the whole thing. You know, the liberty, uh, uh, you know, the geekdom, the whole business. He gets it. All right. You want to work with these businesses. I mean, do you know what it takes for for uh, an organization or a company or whatever to want to support Sovereign Tech with the shit that comes out of my mouth? Yeah. You want to do business with these people. Go do business with Roberts, Roberts Brokerage. Let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you. They're going to know you're talking about. You want to get your hook up. Take advantage of these great price rises and everything else that's going on and do it. Go to rrbi.co and I thank them for re upping and for sponsoring for so long Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. Hack's sake. Boy, we never have time to cover everything, do we? <laughs> this is why we got to get to the point where I can do where I can afford to do 2 episodes a week. We're getting there. We're getting there. Got a lot of new patrons. If you want to become a Sovereign Tech patron, that's another way, okay, to really help out the show because we're building something very special here. Uh, and people that have been on for a long time, they know. <laughs> they get it. And people that have just come on, they're already feeling it. So, uh, become a patron, just go to sovereigntech.com, S O V R Y N tech.com and you get access to hundreds of hours of new content or, or you know, of exclusive content. That's exclusive to Patreon. You get to be a part of the Q&As and everything. We got our live Q&A that's going to be going on tomorrow. I'll be live and in color on video, baby. The Golden Stallion all over you. It's going to be amazing. So anyway, if you want to become a patron, you want to get access to all of that content, I mean, literally hundreds of episodes, you want to do that, just go to to SovereignTech.com. That'll take you right to the Patreon page. Anyway, wow. You know, you may not want to do that over Wi-Fi, though, because (laughs) because... A very, very serious flaw dropped uh, just this past Monday. And again, we are recording this on uh, October 21st, 2017. Yeah, just this past Monday. Holy shit. I mean, everybody was talking about this. So, interestingly, this is pro. I'm of two minds on this. Like, it's funny what they called this uh, exploit. But then also, like, it's the worst name ever because technically any kind of malicious action um, against a network, computer system, whatever, is called a crack. Okay, C-R-A-C-K. Now, this uh, uh, flaw that was found in WPA2, the protocol, WPA, the wireless protocol, which everybody pretty much uses to secure a wireless network. I mean, like, understand WPA2 has been the standard and hasn't there hasn't been a flaw or concern really for over a decade for probably like 12 years, ever since WEP finally died. I mean, WPA2 has been it, and nobody's really had to talk about it. I mean, wireless, nobody really, you know... Okay, I've raised some concerns, and I'll talk about those as we go into this, but nobody's really raised any concerns, so this is really huge. But they called it crack, K-R-A-C-K. And honestly, like, if I guess, if I was going to, or I should say frankly, honestly means that at some point I'm lying to you or something, which I don't. But frankly, if I were to name, like if, if there was something bad enough, okay. If there, if there was some kind of exploit that was so bad that you would just give it the, the penul- or not the penultimate, but the ultimate name of crack, you'd give it that grand title, of you know, being the champion of all this would kind of be one of them. <laughs> this, this is, this is a candidate. So yeah, this is crack K R A C K. Um, And what was discovered? And and I mean, there's a million ways that this is bad. I put a link in the show notes for it. I'm going to read a little bit, and then we're just going to talk about it. Um, And here it is. Researchers have disclosed a serious weakness in the WPA2 protocol that allows attackers within range of vulnerable device or access points to intercept passwords, emails, and other data presumed to be encrypted, and in some cases to inject, that's the key part, inject ransomware or other malicious content into a website a client is visiting. The proof-of-concept exploit is called CRACK, short for Key Reinstallation Attacks. The, so they could, couldn't they just call it Kra? K-R-A? I mean, I know they probably get confused with the supercomputers. They're spelled differently, but whatever. Anyway, the research has been cl- a closely guarded secret for weeks ahead of a coordinated disclosure that was scheduled for 8 a.m. on Monday, East Coast time. A website disclosing the vulnerability said it affects the core WPA protocol, WPA2 protocol itself and is effective against devices running Android, Linux... And OpenBSD, which that shocked the hell out of me. we, we got to break this down a little bit more in a minute. Uh, and to a lesser extent, Mac OS and Windows, as well as MediaTek Linksys and other types of devices. The site warned that attackers can exploit the flaw to decrypt a wealth of sensitive data that's normally encrypted by the nearly ubiquitous Wi-Fi encryption protocol. Uh, quote, this can be used to steal sensitive information such as credit card numbers, passwords, chat messages, emails, photos, and so on, end quote. Researcher, uh, Matthew Vainhoff of the, why well, I cannot pronounce that in Belgium. Uh, anyway, he, he goes on the attack works against all modern protected Wi-Fi networks, depending upon, or depending on the network configuration, it is also possible to inject and manipulate data. For example, an attacker might be able to inject ransomware or other malware into websites. Um, anyway, and there, there's examples, there's videos showing the, the, the exploit in action, um, And the way that it works, it works by taking advantage of the the four-way handshake that happens, which is a great way to secure WPA2, but it takes advantage of that. I don't know that we necessarily need to get into all the technicals on it. Uh, The write-up that I put in from Ars Technica describes it very well. But let's just break down the practicality, what can be done, what's going on here exactly. Okay, here's the interesting thing. This is not something that can be patched at the router level. OK, you know, these kinds of things will happen via, you know, with hardware where it's not necessarily a part of the protocol itself. And usually you update your router regularly, which I recommend. I always recommend checking for router updates at least once a month of your, you know, the router that you have in your house. Uh, but th- that, that's not going to cut this. This is happening at the device level where this is able to, to get taken advantage of. Um, Not good, (laughs) Okay, because you literally have to update every fucking device on planet Earth and how many billions of devices are out there, Android or otherwise. And Android in particular, and this is funny, later versions of Android as in 6.0 and up are more susceptible than older versions of Android, which usually we find out about these vulnerabilities, and it's the other way around. It's like, yeah, everything before version 4.2, that's because there are major changes after 4.2. But everything previous to that, oh, you know, you could attack it with anything. Not so with this one. With this one, it's the newer versions that are far more susceptible to it. Now, they mention in the article how Mac OS and Windows... Uh, weren't weren't as susceptible as other operating systems, including Linux and BSD, which I was really shocked about BSD. Um, the the irony is it, it, that's kind of a fluke. okay. Now, first off, Microsoft already patched this in Windows ten before the announcement even happened. okay they 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 patched it like like a week or two beforehand, which good on them for being out on front on this because they're ahead of everybody else actually. And part of that, admittedly, part of this, you know, you didn't know that that was happening. But, you know, Windows 10 has the forced updates, which, yes, I understand why there can be concerns about forced updates. I understand all of those. OK, but this is one of the arguments for why forced updates can be a very good thing. They can patch this stuff before they can even tell you what it is as to where normally, you know, like somebody who's really security minded would be like, oh, wait a minute. What does this update do? What does this update do? And I understand that mindset and I respect the fuck out of it. And and I agree with it, actually. OK, uh, you know, b- by and large. But the argument for, you know, updates like this or, you know, with with forced updates that you don't know what the updates are necessarily is that it allows for in this kind of condition where there was like a set time that they were going to reveal all of this. They can already have it patched ahead of time and you don't have to sweat anything. So Microsoft was way out in front. Uh, phenomenal. Google, as far as patching Android, which is very susceptible, uh, Oreo devices and like the Pixel line will be getting a a push on November 6th not until November 6th, what is it, October 21st? Interestingly, Lineage OS, which is the um, successor to CyanogenMod, which is, you know, an alternative for, uh, version of Android, they already patched it. <laughs> like, they beat Google to the punch, which I, I think is is awesome and remarkable at the same time. Okay, uh, but anyway, I was going to say, so Mac OS and Windows, the reason that they weren't as susceptible to the more... Um, because there's different ways in which this, in which crack can affect your system. Okay. Or can affect the data that, you know, you know going between your system and, and, uh, and a router or something else. They fucked up, you know, that four way handshake. They kind of fucked up the way, like they messed up the code and how they implemented it. It still works, but it's not the traditional setup that, you know, standard setup for, for, the, you know, for the protocol because they fucked it up. So again, it was a mistake because they made a mistake in their implementation of WPA2 in macOS and Windows it actually kept this exploit from working against those systems by for for the most part i mean there's still a couple little areas but the major ways were like you could get you know system injections um it, it <laughs> it bested those completely by mistake. <laughs> so, but I mean, the, the windows 10 patch that I was just describing for this was completely intentional. Okay. So if you're running windows, you're fine. If you're running lin- Linux, you're not fine yet. Um, as far as, as far as I've seen, the last update I looked at is that, you know, not all Linux systems have been patched yet. Uh, OpenBSD, They'll have that licked in, in no time. Uh, I mean, as far as what to do about this, look, I'm not going to make the, I mean, I think it's ludicrous to make the argument, well, if everything go hardline, you know, you can't trust wireless, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I'm not going to tell you that. OK, uh, I mean, like we said, systems are already being updated. Even Dell pushed out uh, a, a specific update, like hardware updates for most of their In fact, even computers going back quite a few years. Um, I mean, people are getting on top of this. It's going to take a while before everything is patched from this. No doubt about that. OK, what I am going to recommend is is just please, please do, you know, be whether it's a mobile device, a laptop, whatever. Make sure you're updating shit. OK, make sure you're updating this shit, uh, you know, is, is maybe not. A, you don't have to do it like right away. But as soon as you hear about it, like, yeah, g- get to updating things. That is so important. And buy hardware that, you know, is going to get regular updates. OK, now Microsoft patched with Windows 10. So just about anything running when running Windows 10, you, you know, you're you're fine. OK, um, but like with phones, Maybe buy phones that have a great, you know, from from manufacturers that have a great track record of updating their devices regularly to the latest versions of Android and putting out security updates and everything, which sort of in a way only leaves you with. I mean, it depends on also with the manufacturer. it It can depend on the phone if it's their flagship. Maybe they'll update it better than, you know, than their lower end phones or something. But you're in a way with Android particularly, you're left with either like Samsung or Google themselves. You know, I mean, HTC is kind of dead, <laughs> kind of. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of these other ones where, yeah, I mean, they they you know, they're going by the wayside. I mean, Moto depends on the Moto device that they'll update it. I mean, but, yeah, make sure you're, be very, very particular. Look into, this is such an important thing when you're buying new hardware, you, when you're buying new devices. What does their update history look like? And if it's a good-looking update history and it gets updates a lot, good. Feel a little more confident. Put down an extra $100 or whatever you need to put down to be able to get that. I think it's that important for that to happen. Um on a larger point there's other than what i just described really there's not a whole lot you can do um and it points at something it points at an abstract notion that i want to that i want to lay on you here uh we years ago on this show we read a, a blog post by Quinn Norton okay who she well she's awesome we'll just put it that way security researcher the whole thing she's great programmer um and she wrote a, a fantastic scathing blog post saying everything is broken. And you know what? Like I didn't disagree with her. And in this instance, I think it proves the point. Everything is broken. Okay. Now what, what do we mean by that? What do you, what do you mean? Everything is broken. Um, yeah. OK, we need to get to the point where we're using open hardware like laptops from Librem, L-I-B-R-E-M or Libreboot laptops. Uh, we need to be looking more into, you know, what the free software foundations trying to do with making more open handsets, you know, more open hardware and open software smartphones so that we can, you know, see these things more readily and do something about it ourselves. Like I said, Lineage OS patched this before Google did. They were the first ones to patch it after Microsoft. And I don't think they even had the inside track. They they just, they found out about it. Oh, shit, let's patch it. And they did, you know, and had it on on a nightly. It was great. Um, that's the beauty of, you know, of one of the advantages that can happen with open source. So, yeah, like hardware needs to get fixed. Software needs to continually get more and more open source. So the stuff can, you know, a community can fix this quicker than any company can. Um, and... Uh, You know those are all very real solutions, but then the other part of it too is that, and I know this is gonna this will sound crazy to some people, but I mean this: the internet, the big bad internet, the World Wide Web, blah blah blah, is inherently flawed and inherently broken. I mean, we didn't know because we never had anything like it before, right? When it was originally developed so many decades ago, but it's inherently broken. It's inherently flawed. It allows for, I mean, so much of the system, yeah, this has to do with wireless, which is a newer protocol and all that. So many of these things are, you know, yeah, they're newer, but still they're based upon some of the, and and are, are piggybacking, bootstrapping off of a lot of these older technologies. So what I'm saying to you is, is that eventually... We need to get to a point, be it that peer-to-peer future where things are interacting peer-to-peer, maybe where some of the wilder technologies that we've talked about that are very real that we've talked about on Sovereign Tech in the past, like Wi-Fi, uh, which is, you know, laser-based communications instead of Wi-Fi. Um, you know, again, open hardware, a lot of this other stuff. We need to get to a future where those things are the norm, where mesh networking is the norm, where, uh, you know, all of these different ways that, that systems can connect become the norm. The system as it stands right now, is broken in its entirety. The internet itself is inherently insecure. Just straight up, it's broken. We got it. We get a lot of these legacy systems. I'm not saying like kill everything. I mean, hey, IRC's great emails. Something you know is nice. Blah blah blah. I understand. But so many of these legacy systems, they just need to go. They need to die. Put them out to pasture already. And, I mean, the problem is, is that the alternatives to how all this works, uh, the NSA can't so easily get into. Because now what's happening is, is you know, Vint Cerf himself, you know, one of the the godfathers of the Internet, he said the one thing, or maybe it was Tim Berners-Lee, whichever one of them said it, the one thing they wish they put into the Internet, and, you know, into TCPIP and all that, into those protocols, was encryption, and they didn't. And, you know, we've been paying for that really ever since. I mean, it's amazing what the Internet has provided, but that doesn't mean it's the end all be all. Just like, you know, when you talk about Bitcoin. Yep. Bitcoin's amazing. Bitcoin's great. It's king of the hill. It doesn't have to be the king of the hill forever. You know, let's not be blinded to just because we want to hold on to Bitcoin and have some incredible value. Let's not be blinded to the idea that, oh, maybe something better could come along. Why? 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 You know. Just because you, you love this one thing, you don't want to allow for other advancements, improvements, innovations and all that. That's ridiculous. That's so against the, the entire uh, hacking ethic, hacking as in heroes. OK, the entire hacker ethic that, you know, that has been fostered for so long, that has brought so much of what the future that we have right now. It's a ridiculous way to think. But why won't we get there? Well, because the NSA wouldn't have as much power if everything is being client side encrypted. Uh, the NSA wouldn't have so much power if zero-knowledge proofs are being used. The NSA wouldn't have as much power, uh, or, you know, wouldn't have the ability to exploit. Uh, wouldn't I mean, like, you know, the the legacy system, not just the legacy internet or anything like that, but the legacy system, as in governments and all these systems of, uh, uh, you know, abusive power that exist out there, would lose a lot of control if we started using all of these technologies that are being developed right now, that are available right now, that could replace. All of this bullshit, and they could keep crap like crack from happening. And you got to believe that one of these stupid, you know, or one of these fucking alphabet soup organizations knew about crack for a long, long time and just didn't tell anybody. So let's start using the systems, peer to peer systems, whatever else that actually, you know, know, circumvent where a lot of the stuff would even necessarily be possible. I'm not saying that it would have inherently solved crack, but. It would have been a good start and there would have been a lot less incentive to to even get into data theft and manipulation and stealing credit card numbers and all this stuff. If we we're using technologies where those where those things become meaningless, who gives a shit about a credit card number? Good luck trying to get my private key, asshole. Sorry. Sucks to be you. Bad day. I got my shit locked down. Let's move forward. Let's admit it. Let's let's come down off the mountain and say, all of this is fucking broken. Let's start fostering the new technologies that can fix and can keep these things like crack and whatever else from becoming a problem in the first place. I'm not saying take two steps backwards. I'm saying I'm saying let's take a thousand steps forward already. Don't waste time. You know, we're talking about Microsoft earlier. Yeah, I mean they they had some really interesting ideas based upon the present uh, device ecosystem that we live in, like Continuum and things like this. And instead, Microsoft's saying, "Yeah, we're gonna skip that and we're just gonna go all in on uh, on mixed reality. We're we're just gonna go all in on the next platform. Amazon with the Echo, They're like, yeah, we yeah, okay. So our phone our phone didn't work very well. We can't really sell computers or anything like this. Let's just let's just create an entirely new market category and just leapfrog all this horseshit. Same thing. The peer-to-peer future needs to leapfrog all of this. Just get right past it and, and just just skip don't 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 bother with incrementalism just go all the way and we have the ability to do that now and the tools are already being developed or they already exist they just need to be implemented get to it we'll be right back with some more sound tech Woo, you want to keep an eye on the future and the technologies that are pumping up the future kind of like ZenCash, like i mentioned or ZCash or bitcoin not pumping up as in pump and dump but like as in making it finally happen Keep an eye on cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies at CryptoCompare.com. I keep this website open all the time, always keeping an eye on what's going on. What's the, you know, what's the new hotness? What's, uh, you know, what's strong and solid going forward? You know, what are people getting excited about? Because there's a huge social element there. What's the latest news? They've got it all covered. It is your one stop, not really a shop, but your one stop for <laughs> uh, all, everything going on in the cryptocurrency space i mean i can't recommend this enough cryptocompare.com hit up that website get on board with it and i thank them so much for sponsoring sovereign tech and keep an eye on that zen cash price baby Woo! game talk it is time for game talk you know we haven't done a game talk in like two three weeks <laughs> and, and you know i would let it's always there's so much to talk about every week Sometimes at some point I'll get back to where I can actually do every single segment in a show. Sometimes at some point we'll get there. But all this, I mean, the thing is that tech news is so wide ranging now; it covers so many aspects of people's lives. I mean, you have to, you know, any one topic can easily be an entire two-hour show. Um, so you know, sometimes I have I let certain uh, certain segments you know, kind of fall by the wayside to talk about other things or to make sure I have time to, to get, you know, certain points out and everything, but game talk, we haven't done in a while. So shit, let's do, let's get into game talk <laughs> because I've had news piling up for weeks uh, with this. And some of this stuff is actually, is, is kind of interesting. Um, one of them is the Atari box, which is coming out. Now I put a link in the show notes for this. Um, I don't think it's meant to come out until 20 into, into 2018, but this is effectively, this is playing off of the craze of, of course, what Nintendo's been doing with the, uh, oh, you know, with the, the Super Nintendo Classic or the SNES Classic with the NES Classic uh, and all of this. And they want to take advantage of that. But it's kind of unique in what they're doing because it's an open, it, talking about open hardware, this is open hardware. Uh, it looks kind of like a classic Atari 2600. It just has some lights on it. You know, it has that beige and black with kind of the grill look to it. Uh, and it is a Linux based console, which, of course, understand. So are the NES classic and the, and the SNES classic. Like, in fact, I, I've cracked this joke on on various social media that, you, you know, the, the, the SNES classic is the best selling Linux, uh, you know, Linux system in history. And it really is. I mean, and people don't even know it. And it's brought to you by Nintendo, who are not the best about being open with things. But, yeah, I I mean, (laughs) Linux is the most popular operating system in the world right now. You know, it it just is because I don't see any NES classics or Super NES classics on the shelves anymore. Hmm. Hmm. Who knew? Everybody's a Linux user now. (laughs) Anyway. So with the Atari box, though, they're a little more honest about it. You didn't, you wouldn't know that about the about Nintendo's retro consoles. Uh, you know, if, if you didn't read about it. But they're they're be, they're they're just putting this right out in the open. It's going to sell for 249, and it is it's Linux based, and it is going to yeah, spring of 2018 is going to be the release. Um, and but it's going to be a full on computer effectively. I mean, it's kind of a middle of the road, sort of like kind of like an NVIDIA uh, shield TV, so, you know, along those lines or like Apple TV. But in this case, it's going to be Atari and it's going to have a bunch of the classic Atari games on it. But it'll give you the opportunity to do a whole lot of other things, uh, you know, within the uh, within the OS. So it, it'll, you'll probably be able to have um, it's because it's going to be AMD powered, going to have Radeon graphics and all that. Uh, I can't believe it like they. In their marketing, they're putting out there that it's going to offer a full PC experience. Uh, No, (laughs) I, I don't know that you're going to have that much power. Maybe you're going to be able to install Steam on it. You could certainly install all the emulators you want to your heart's content on Linux, and Linux has plenty of great emulators. So effectively, the Atari box could be the machine you connect to your TV that you play Super Nintendo on, you could play Nintendo, you know, uh, Turbo Graphics 16 maybe I, you know, whatever, because it is an open system, even though it is being heavily branded with Atari. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by this. I just, I can't, I just got to say right out front, like, look, I love Atari. I loved my Atari 2600. I cannot imagine that this is going to do well. Um, I was something I was really impressed by. Commodore tried to make a huge comeback with like selling things that looked like a Commodore 64 had the keyboard, built, which Commodore 64, uh, you know, one of my favorite computers of all time, certainly in my top three, right up there with the, the Mac G4 cube. Um, they couldn't make it, you know, and if you can't get the nostalgia factor from like the Commodore community, which is a hardcore fucking community, you understand, I, I don't think you can do this. I, I, I don't think this is going to take off. You know, not everybody. You, you have to understand with Nintendo because this is what everybody's looking at. They're like, oh, Nintendo's making money off of a whole retro thing. OK, but N- Nintendo has such a diehard fan base and they have such amazing marketing where like the one thing Nintendo while they'll shut down like fan games and everything in the blink of an eye they do allow for a lot of fan interpretation on like clothing and wallets and all this other kind of merchandise. They just sort of let it ride. And I mean, they have such power, such a powerful fan base. I mean, I'm a a part of it. I love Nintendo. You know, even when they do heinous shit, you know, I still love what, you know, when you're a company that's made that put that many smiles on that many faces, I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, Atari just doesn't have that same social cachet. They just don't it's not, it, it's just, I don't think this is going to work. I, I I. think this is going to fail right out of the gate. Um, it depends on availability, whether or not I'll decide to get a test unit. Uh, we'll see, you know, if, if I, if I decide to mess with it, but anyway, uh, I think that that's interesting. Uh, you know, something, somebody actually emailed me about this, uh, after I was talking, after I gave my review on game talk, uh, back in September, which is like the last one that we did. Um, when I reviewed the super Nintendo classic, which I have, which by the way, the the lovely and hyper intelligent, Dr. Stephanie Murphy, I think she's playing that shit more than I am. (laughs) We've been going through super Mario world. Oh, that, that system is so much fun and star Fox two rock and roll, baby. Uh, but Somebody, you know, uh, emailed me and said, oh, you know, Brian, you were talking so much about how now you expect the next system to be the Nintendo 64 classic, the next retro console, uh, which I still stand by that because actually that the patents have already been put in, I think, or the patent uh, uh, applications have been put in for it. Um, they said, what about a Game Boy classic? Now, uh, Mike and Ryan, you know, from Cinemassacre, they actually they talked about that when they did their review review like and they they got like an early review unit I think to where they could talk about it. Um they said that they they wanted that to happen, but they didn't have any indication that it would. I agree with the the person that emailed me, the the Sovereign Tech listener. Uh, I think that's a no-brainer. Absolutely do a Game Boy Classic. Uh get Tetris on there. Go ahead and get Metroid 2 on there. There's a laundry list of games that I would that I would put on that. Um you know, the the Kirby games, for, for the Game Boy or for the original Game Boy, you know, the, the puke green Game Boy. I mean, you, cause you could, you could iterate it, you know, especially if you're only going to sell it for like 50 bucks, you could iterate it to where you would have the, um, you know, you, you could have the Game Boy color the next year. And then the following year you could have the Game Boy advance, which talk about a, a fucking selection of titles. Holy shit. But the Kirby games on the original, you know, Kirby's dreamland and all that amazing super Mario land. Amazing there's just, there's so many games, uh, you know, to, to really take advantage there. The one I probably wouldn't put on it, I wouldn't put Link's Awakening on it, which some people might think that's crazy because that's the only puke green Game Boy title of Zelda that you could put on there. But uh, I Link's Awakening DX is such a better game. I would wait for that. I'd put that on the Game Boy Color. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But put, you know, put uh, Pokemon Yellow on there. I mean, you could, you could fit a ton of games. I mean, so easily. Uh, the only thing is, is that it would be custom hardware that they are because the NES classic and the Super Nintendo classic use other than the outer shell use the exact same hardware. And so this is good. It would be an expensive proposition, but I've also heard that it would take new hardware to do the N64 classic as well. Uh, but this is going to be an expensive proposition to do it with Game Boy. I think not, not, not really expensive, but by comparison. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I agree. I think that that's a no-brainer to go with the Game Boy Classic. Um, and I would buy it in a heartbeat. I'll buy every one of these because I, I think they're so cool. And I, I, you know, I case everything. I, you know, I, I buy like these, these really nice hard cases to put all this stuff into, uh, so it can last forever. Uh, because one of the reasons that I like to do that is. In fact, this was announced in the past week, and I think officially November is when it shuts down, um, for the Wii, and that's the original Nintendo Wii, which, for those that forget, it's the best-selling game system of all time, okay, uh, the original Nintendo Wii, they are shutting down the eShop which is how, you know, the Wii could connect to the internet and there was an eShop where you could buy virtual console titles. You know, you could buy classic Nintendo titles or you could buy games that were specifically called, they called it WiiWare. Um, I loved my Nintendo Wii. Like I fucking loved the thing. I totally skipped the Wii U, but I loved uh, the the original Wii. Um, but they're closing the eShop. So what you have to do is you have to download your games onto your Wii, uh, before that closing date hits. Um, or, or, or uh, cause if you don't, you know, they're lost forever unless you modify your system and you, you know, download the wads, um, from, you know, from the internet or something. Uh, but anyway, so here's the problem with that. And that's really annoying is that a lot of these, you know, when is the day going to come? Like I have a lot of titles that I buy, I, I bought through, uh, through the eShop for my, uh, for my Nintendo 2DS, my our new Nintendo 2DS XL. I have the latest one. Um, You know, what's going to happen in five years when they shut that down? Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I mean, I have tons of titles. Not good. I mean, yeah, I know I can get into homebrew and all this different stuff, but what if you just want to keep it simple and, you know, just have everything be official and nice, nice? You're screwed. Yeah, I mean, there's ways you could do it. You could put it on other SD cards and all that. I understand that. But this is a real problem that you, that with these internet connected consoles, there comes a time where, you know, eventually... These companies, be it Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony, whoever, with their consoles, they're going to turn off. You know, they're they're going to turn off their servers that gives you access to all these digital titles. That's a real problem. The thing I love about these classic consoles is that they don't connect to the internet at all. What's on them is on them. And I know you can you can crack them to or you know you can hack them. It's a heroic thing. You can hack them to where you can put more games on it, and that's great. Go ahead. But let's be clear here: like, there's a beautiful thing in what they offer to you as is. Uh, and so, you know, having all of these systems like that, yeah, I want it because then there are systems that can just, you know, theoretically could last forever as long as they can connect to some kind of HDMI port, uh, somewhere, you know, this is going to be, and we've talked about this before cause it's already happened with Android. There's a ton of Android games from like Sega and others where Sega has just pulled the games and you might've bought them. You might've put money down for those and they're just gone. And now Sega's re-releasing a bunch. Sure. But what happened to that five bucks? You know, it's it's very it's very ugly. Uh, you know how I, I think that that bit of future is going to go with gaming consoles, uh, with all these digital titles is that you you can't get physical copies anymore, and where you could play like an original Atari Twenty Six Hundred, some people still play those to this day. You not none of the consoles now, except for these retro consoles, are going to hold up in the next forty years. Woo, baby. Tell you something that will hold up. Why don't you get your hands on some stickers? I know that sounds crazy, right? But go to stickers.sovereintech.com. You can get all kinds of, you know, case badges. You can even, I mean, they have t-shirts. They have more than stickers there. But if it's your first time going, you get $5 off on your order if you use the link stickers.sovereintech.com. Get your hook up. And hey, you want to talk about securing shit, your mobile device? Go to darkandroid.info. Get a copy of my book dark android the 2017 edition your no-nonsense guide to securing your device and reclaiming your privacy that's at darkandroid.info. Woo! let's get back to the show tech history it is time for tech history and i've got something you know speaking of phones i have something a very interesting piece of history uh that i want to talk with you about and it is what one could argue there might be other examples out there, but what one could argue is the very first phone. And what may shock you is that it's over a thousand years old. I'm going to read a little bit of the story here um, on this twelve hundred year old telephone telephone. Amazing invention of the ancient Chimu civilization. Now, the Chamu civilization is one that you probably don't hear about a whole hell of a lot. And part of the reason being, this is a civilization that cropped up. So it, it came out of the, I, I, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, it's Moche or Moshe uh, civilization in Peru. Okay, um, They, outcred, I mean, these are one of the, so what you had was, okay, they, they, they came into being around 900 C.E. You have the Incan civilization, the Incan Empire, or the Inca Empire, that you know was just conquering all of these slightly more minor civilizations. Kind of at its height, uh, you know, the, the Chamu would end up being something along, you know, few, over a hundred thousand anyway would be, you know, would be their civilization. Uh, but it'd be a full-on developed civilization. You know, it, have, it has its own artwork, it's you know entirely its own culture, language, the whole thing. Uh, but they would later on, you know, hundreds of years later, would end up getting. Uh, you know, this would be in the 15th century would end up getting conquered uh, by uh, by the Inca Empire. So. That's part of the reason, probably why you haven't ever, ever haven't ever really heard of them much is because, you know, they would just get subsumed. I mean, and this, of course, has happened many times uh, throughout history. Uh, but anyway, um, this they are a very unique people, very interesting people. Some of the stuff they they pulled off. I mean, nothing feels terribly advanced even though this 1200 or potentially 1400 year old telephone telephone might be a bit of a different story. Uh, nothing terribly advanced, like their art styles kind of unique. It's, it's monochromatic, but it's very detailed, a lot of metal work. Uh, you know, uh, it wasn't something, I mean, you know, they didn't have anything remotely like a market economy or anything like that. It was all very top down, very hierarchical. Uh, but what's interesting is this little telephone that ended up getting found. Uh, so let's uh, let's read on here. Let's see. Uh, reportedly found in the ruins of Chan Chan, Peru, which was Chan was the capital of the Chimu uh, Empire. I don't think you could really call it an empire. They didn't really conquer anybody. Uh, but anyway, the, the delicate communi- uh, communication artifact is thought to have been made twelve hundred to fourteen hundred years ago and is known as the earliest example of telephone technology in the Western Hemisphere. This seemingly out-of-place artifact is evidence of the impressive innovation of the coastal Chimu people in the Rio Moche. um, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, valley of northern Peru. Uh, Ramiro Matos, curator of the National Museum of the American Indian, told the Smithsonian, quote, This is unique. Only one was ever discovered. It comes from the consciousness of an indigenous society with no written language, end quote. Now, that's an interesting point to bring up that we will talk about more in a second. Uh, So anyway, reading on the early telephone appears to be a rudimentary speech transmission device, much like the lover's telephone that has been known for hundreds of years, but which became popular in the 19th century. Uh, It was usually comprised of tin cans connected with a string used to speak back and forth and mostly seen uh, as a novelty. So stallion breaking in. So, you know, what we're talking about with the lover's telephone. This is that thing where, you, you know, you take a couple of cups and you put it between a piece of string. Uh, this <laughs> uh telephone looks very similar. OK, to that. But that's the basic idea of, of what this is. You know, and you can do a few feet. Maybe you could go from like a window to window in a very cramped city or something, uh, you know, with the lover's telephone that people set up with their cups. Uh, but this is the basic idea. But understand even that concept of that simple concept of, a, you know, tin can and two, and a, two tin cans and a string. That didn't become a thing until like a thousand years later after this Chimu telephone, you know, was supposedly invented. Uh, So let's read on here. This ancient Chimu device described as an instrument, however, is composed of two gourd tips bound with a length of corn. Uh, or le- sorry, length of cord, when I say corn got fall on the mind, the gourd, uh, the gourds, which 3.5 uh, or 3.5 inches long are coated in resin and act as transmitters and receivers of sound around each of the gourd bases is stretched hide membrane. It's 70, the 75 foot line connecting the two ends is made of cotton twine. Uh, the simplicity of the device disguises its implications. This one of a kind artifact reportedly predates the earliest research into telephones, which was done in 1833, uh, You know, which began with non electric st- uh, string devices by more than a thousand years. The Gordon string device uh, is too fragile to physically test. But researchers can piece together how the instrument might have worked. What they mu- what they must continue to speculate on, however, is how the commute. Chumu used this uh, ancient phone. What was its purpose? As the Chamu were known to be a top-down society, it stands to reason that only the elite or priest class would have been in, have been in possession of such a valuable instrument, uh, posits Matos. The precious telephone with the seemingly magical ability to channel voices across space to be heard directly in the ear of the receiver was, quote, a tool designed for an executive level of communication, end quote, said Matos. There might have been many applications, such as communication between novices or assistants and their higher-ranking elites through channels, Chambers or anterooms. No face-to-face contact would have been needed, preserving status and ensuring security. Uh, like many other ancient marvels, it might also have been a device to astound the faithful. Disembodied voices emitting from a handheld object might have shocked and convinced people of the importance and station of the upper class or priests. Now, Stallion, breaking in. I want to talk about that. I mean, that is sadly might be the most likely of the bunch <laughs> as far as what this was used for. So many. Um, I mean, it's important to understand that in a multitude of cultures, not just in Europe, a lot of times the priestly class, which I would argue were the first authoritarians in many sense. Okay. Uh, you know, with, when it comes to humans developing societies and civilizations, uh, even in a tribal context with the shamans, all right. Um, you know, shamanism, you know, just turns into a priestly class sooner or later. Uh, now, the priestly class would be, you know, we're, we're kind of, in my opinion, anthropologically are the original authoritarians. And so they would need to, if anybody came up with something that would threaten their power, which technology can both empower, uh, you know, say the the ruling class or authoritarians, but it can also take power away from an authoritarian group and put it into the hands of the individual and I, I don't think it's unfair to say, and I've talked about this many times uh, in more depth on Patreon episodes, that accusations of black magic, accusations of, you know, being in league with the devil or whatever that happens to be, say, in South American societies, uh, you know, in, in the past uh, and even in the ancient past, you know, th- those are like cl- claims of heresy are often used to shut down some kind of amazing technology. Now, the outcrop of that or the byproduct of that is that the priestly class gets to take advantage of that technology because they're the same ones that shut it down and so i could believe that somebody or even the priests themselves you know because they were the you know they they were the the holders of knowledge i could believe that they could they would come up with something like with a device like this like the chimu telephone and they would use it to you know like have I don't know what, whatever their will would be, you know, whatever they wanted, whatever their mandates were that they wanted the people to believe they would, you know, say, oh, well put this to your ear and you will hear from, you know, Quetzalcoatl or, well, I mean the Chimu didn't believe in Quetzalcoatl, but you know, that was, that was much later. Uh, but you know, and you will hear from the gods and they will tell you what you need to do. And amazingly, the gods speak in your language. Uh, I mean, like I could really picture that that's how it, that's how it went down. Um, There's something to be said that during, you know, the Enlightenment, particularly in Europe, when independent study of the sciences and things like this were taken away from the priestly class, that that's how you end up with the actual technological, uh, uh, you know, innovations, start to get technological innovations that the individual, the everyday person can start to take advantage of. Otherwise, before then, the priestly class was really in charge of having it. And I think. You know, I could envision that very similar situations would happen in all parts of the world uh, where a priestly class or the ruling class usually they're working in concert if not one and the same would uh, you know, would keep people from being able to take advantage of this stuff and that probably explains why they haven't found any more of these in any further archaeological digs because they did only belong to the elites or the priests but that's fascinating I mean they, give them credit all the same they came up with a telephone and thousands of years before much of the rest of the world Ooh, who knew that one we'll be right back with more and hey if you think about it maybe the telephone's still controlling people we'll be back with some more tech.
0: a great war and united a hundred alien races in peace danger didn't die it just went underground with new heroes and new evils to carry the torch we need to make sure they all understand we will not be intimidated what is wrong with you people we have to take him against himself it's an entire new season of Babylon 5 with all new episodes
1: Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site see it now to experience the greatest show in television history
0: Babylon
1: 5. The Climax. Beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life means forever, and that's a mighty long time, but I'm here to tell you. No, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to go through the rest of that. Of course, people know how big of a Prince fan I am. Uh, something else I'm a big fan of, um, what I want to talk about for the Climax, and of course the Climax is part of the show where I can talk about anything. I can talk about a movie, TV show, a book, novel, comic book. Uh topic it could be anything um and I have to bring up kind of a sad subject uh that is relative to a previous climax, which was uh recently you know we we lost adam west bottom line we lost adam west he died, and I covered it on the show because definitely a seminal figure uh in my life um and I explained all of that then, but we have to reopen the wound uh, a bit because well, I mean, as it sad and somber as all that sounds, an amazing piece of work came out and it is Adam West's last piece of work, at least as far as we know, that being the animated film based upon the 66 Batman series and a sequel to the was it the 2016 uh, uh, return of the return of the Cape crusaders Um Yeah, we have Batman versus Two-Face. This is the 2017 animated film with reprising roles. I mean, Adam West is back as Batman doing the voice. Burt Ward is, uh, you know, is back as, um, you know, is doing Robin. Um, Julie Newmar is doing Catwoman. I mean, everybody that they could possibly bring on board, you know, to do the actual voices for, to reprise their classic characters. They did just as they did in 2016 with Return of the Cape Crusaders. Now, Return of the Cape Crusaders was phenomenal. I did a full review of that. Uh, that was something that I had waited, you know, my whole life for, for more Batman 66, please. And I do read the comic books. Of course, the Batman 66 comic book that's been running for a couple of years now is one of the most popular comic books in the world at the moment. Because, and I, I've talked about this, I've talked about the reasons why, uh, partly being, is that people need something a little more jovial in their lives. And the 66 Batman delivers that. Um, I've said on multiple occasions that the 66 Batman, Adam West's Batman, is my Batman. Uh, he always will be, always has been. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons that I liked actually, that I like Batman Forever so much, uh, was because it was, you know, going back to more of that 66 Batman style. Uh, which I really like. So, yeah, so this is really cool. We knew this was coming. We knew there would be a sequel. We knew that when we when we talked about Adam West's uh, passing, you know, we knew at the time that there would be one more film uh, that he would be a part of, you know, one more animated film. And the, the one from 2016, when he was still alive, uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders was so wildly successful and so wildly popular and well received and reviewed uh, that yeah oh yeah i mean dc you know said well warner brothers i should say said fuck yeah we'll make another one and fortunately they did it in pretty short order and we were able to get you know one last performance out of adam west and it's a phenomenal performance um this is this is a fantastic film very different from return of the cape crusaders not very different for batman 66 in the abstract, but very different from Return of the Cape Crusaders with Return of the Cape Crusaders. They kind of, you know, with that movie, which was awesome. And I think I still like that one more than I like uh, Batman versus Two-Face with that one. They just had to jam in as much Batman 66 and as much of Batman's history beyond Batman 66 into one movie that like, I mean, it was just, you know, it was just hit after hit after hit after hit. It was nonstop as to where I, th- I feel like with Batman versus Two-Face, and there's a lot of other things to talk about with this. I feel like with Batman versus Two-Face, what we were fortunately were able to get was one last great story, not, you know, throwing in, not a patchwork, throwing in everything that they possibly could for, you know, from, from the Batman 66 legacy, but we get one last great Batman 66 story in an animated form. Um, admittedly, If this does well, and as far as I know, it has done, I mean, it's been very well received. And as far as I know, it is doing very well. Um, Warner Brothers has said, or Burt Ward has hinted at that he was told in a meeting that there could be more of these. I'll talk about that quickly. I'm not opposed to that, but there's nothing wrong also with this being Adam West's last performance, because again, he was fucking awesome. He was phenomenal. Uh, but this is so yeah. So this is one last great Batman sixty six story that we got to experience, and and it delivers on everything. You know the music's there. Um, I mean, it, there wasn't as much homage and as much you know jammed in like there was with Return of the Cape Crusaders which i think really helped make it that great but that, that really doesn't take anything away from this it's just that there's so many there's not as many things to like necessarily you know point out so much uh but they got the same team doing the the music doing the musical score and it worked beautifully in it it, it was it was so cool uh i've been, i'm disappointed la la land records as far as i can see they released the score for uh Return of the Cape Crusaders they have not released the soundtrack yet uh, for Batman versus Two-Face, which I will get as soon as it comes out. If it comes out, I really hope it does because it's a very enjoyable score, even though it hit a lot of the same notes that Return of the Caped Crusaders did. Again, same musical team. Uh, directed by Rick Morales, I mean, just did, did a fantastic job. And look, animated animation directors are, I mean, they're incredibly important. Their series is a heart attack. And he he delivered with this. I mean, right from the opening scene, spoiler alerts, right from the opening scene where Batman is talking to Catwoman, who's in jail. And he's like sitting on the side of like her bars, like, you know, hanging off the, the side of like Arkham, which that was cool to have Arkham, you know, put into. I mean, that that's been one of the best parts of Batman 66, the comic and of these two animated films now is that they've been able to introduce a lot of, um, really great characters or story gimmicks and concepts like Arkham Asylum and others that came after Batman 66. And so, but it allows it to, to just enrich that universe even more, which I think is great. In fact, even you get, so th- there's a few other like bookworm who was originally played by Roddy McDowell, who of course he's, you know, long past, um, but bookworm is in this, uh, you know, there, there've been King Tut was in this, there. are they they put in a few more it's not just Two Face. There ha- there are other villains in this, uh, but there's also an introduction of a character that will obviously become Harley Quinn. Uh and so that was really cool, uh, you know, to see her involved um as well. Uh Beyond that, um, you know, let's talk about Two-Face because this is a character that was never in the original uh, Batman series. So when that when I was first announced that Batman versus Two-Face was going to come out, I was so excited for this because it's like, oh, great, we get to bring in this awesome villain into this tapestry into this 19, you know, the sixties tapestry that is so much fun. It is theater of the absurd and you could really go far out with it. And two is a character that, you know, it's dealing with split personalities and everything that could do very well in the theater of the absurd, which is the genre that the 66 Batman belongs to. Uh, and he does, and he does. And it's all because of William fucking Shatner doing the voice for two face. That was great to have such a sixties icon also get put into the fold of the Batman 66 universe is priceless. That is absolutely priceless. That was the, there is nobody else that they should have put in there than him. That was the perfect choice. You know, the only other thing you I mean, if, if Leonard Nimoy were fortunate, you know, if he were still around, it's so, so sad, but if he were still around, uh, that would have been a great choice as well. But I mean, this, that's exactly who you want to bring in. Uh, that, that was, that was so cool to have William Shatner and Shatner and, and Adam West, like their voices just played off and their deliveries played off of each other so well. It was so well done. And they made, you know, they made Harvey Dent, you know, the two faces, original you know, persona. Uh, they made his character look like William Shatner, look like a 60s Captain Kirk. I mean, it looked like you're watching Star Trek, the animated series. And that's a good thing. That was good. That 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 delivered that like that felt right. Uh, and so I I was very, very pleased uh, by that, uh, you know, in it. And some of the things, you know, I, I gotta admit like Julie Newmar's sound, I, some people have said Adam West. I mean, I, I think he delivered a great performance. I feel like in this one, you could hear the age a little more on most of the characters than you could in return of the Cape Crusaders. I don't know why that is. Maybe it was the speakers I was listening to it on, uh, I'm not sure. That's something I, I, you know, I have to chew on. I'll definitely be watching this over and over again because the 66 Batman is one of my favorite TV series of all time. Um, this delivers on everything that the Batman 66 series, ha- uh, you know, needs. It's sexy. There's plenty of points where it's very sexy. Uh, you know, in fact, well, I don't want to give, I don't want to give, there's some spoilers I don't want to give away, but I mean, Catwoman's great. And everybody's just so cool. And you you get Joker again. All the characters are, are, you know, most of the main characters are there in one form or another, uh, which is really nice. But, you know, speaking of of having any more of these. Yeah, I would love to see Harley Quinn in the 66 Batman universe. I there's a lot of characters, Clayface, um, Scarecrow. I mean, there's a ton that I would love to see in the 66 Batman universe. I don't know if they would use like Adobe's voice technology that allows you to mimic uh, the voice patterns and thus the voice and make them say anything you want of of Adam West or if they'd bring in somebody that could like do a mock-up of Adam West. I'm really okay with that. I understand why some people aren't and why they may be vehemently against it. Believe me, I completely understand. But I'm really okay with this, especially because Batman 66 is so hot right now. And because of stupid intellectual property laws, I mean, that's an actually, or, uh, that's being redundant, stupid laws. Yeah, they all are. Okay. But, but because of stupid IP laws, we didn't get any Batman's, you know, any 66 Batman for decades when we were hungry for it in the nineties. look. In the 90s, they were schlepping around fucking galleries and, and, the, and you know, an old uh, Ford Futura and all that, you know, in malls, doing a mall tour of the, ba- of the 66 Batman because it was still so popular in the 90s. It was with me. I was growing up with it. it man, it's, it's such a lost opportunity. So if we can make up for lost time, fuck, let's do it. Let's, let's make that happen. I am so on board with that. I am so okay with that. So, but, you know, I had kind of a realization Uh, So yeah, Batman versus Two-Face, watch it. It's fucking awesome. It's great. It's a great detective story. Uh, It's got everything you want. There's hilarious lines uh, in it. Adam West delivers the performance of a lifetime. And yes, you can do that in an animated setting. Uh, William Shatner is top of his game, even though I have problems with William Shatner on Twitter these days. Uh, But regardless, all very, very cool. Um, I kind of came to a realization watching this. Because there's moments, you know, with with any any of my favorite franchises or any medium, any movie or TV show or whatever uh, that I happen to be watching. You know, most of the time I find myself really liking the villains. Sometimes I end up liking the heroes, you know, but it's very rare that I so much like the heroes as much as I like uh, like the 66 Batman. Like I'm such a big fan of Batman in general, but but particularly that and I kind of came to a realization recently and the realization is is this. And I should have come to this realization a long time ago, whether it's a hero or a villain, pretty much any character that is a representation of Sherlock Holmes is going to be my favorite character. Like, and, and I'm just going to totally relate to them. Like in Star Wars, Grand Admiral Thrawn, the villain, right? Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's Sherlock Holmes. That's that's all he really is. Uh, Batman is Sherlock Holmes, just with, you know, far more muscle bound and the whole and, you know, maybe more sexy and a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay, but really, he's Sherlock Holmes. And, you know, I could go down a list, quite a quite a long list of all these different characters that at the end of the day are really based upon uh, Sherlock Holmes. Now, the one the one example that I might not give would be like data, like, you know, from from the next generation. But he wasn't always Sherlock Holmes. So but like, you know, Picard even Spock and, you know, a lot of these characters, they're, they're really in in some ways, maybe not so much Picard, but they're very much Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and as I've said many times, I mean, I had the fortunes of reading Sherlock Holmes at a very young age, reading the original Canon. I tell this to people all the time. I say, all you need to do, if you want a kid to have an education, you just, you know, get them to the point to where they can read, you know, whatever, do your stewardship to, so that they think they can get to that point and then hand them the original Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes Canon. And they will learn everything they ever need to learn in life because they will understand logic. They will understand reason. They will understand, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things that those books so beautifully put on display. They are such masterpieces. Um, and I think the appeal to Batman is like, you know, he's in this crazy, especially in Batman 66. He's in this crazy world and he's such a straight shooter. Um, but, you know, and he just has this amazing like out of nowhere detective prowess. He's Sherlock Holmes. so so I think that's really cool but anyway that's what I've come to realize is that really the character I love is Sherlock Holmes and wherever he happens to show up be it Batman Grand Admiral Thrawn or whatever that's generally the person I'm rooting for you know so that was kind of cool but Batman vs. Two-Face to have Adam West and William Shatner going at it This is worth the price of admission all the way. But it's a tremendous Batman story in itself. Anyway, that's it. That's enough for this week. I will see you on the other side. Become a patron. SovereignTech.com. Do it. See you on the other side.
0: experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's sovryn techcom And connect with us there. Find links from today's show. And catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show
1: however you like. Welcome to The Evolution.